Okay. Kind of strange after all this preparation and everybody traveling and all the preparation, here we are coming to the end all of a sudden. It's crazy. So I don't have um, any agenda for tonight at all. And um, this is a night for, for question and answers, or questions anyway. And uh, yeah, Tom, you got to get to the mic. <laughs> Good evening. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, everybody brought their A game to this weekend, I have to say. The questioners, Great. Pema, you, it's been absolutely unbelievable to be Wonderful. here. Yeah. So thank you for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> I just felt, we left this afternoon, I felt so privileged even just to be in the space. It's really incredible. So Great. thank you for that. Great. And my it's question the power, has to... It's the power of community. The Buddha said that when, when we do anything, that, that the power and the strength of what we do is multiplied by the gathering of people. This is the power of community. Yeah, it's fantastic. It, and the people, I talk to my wife all the time. She doesn't care. LAUGHTER <laughs> Somebody asked me, this is not the question, somebody asked me the other day what it was that I was drawn to. And um, leaving aside the depth of the teachings, it was your and Annie Pema's humor and also depth of listening. Mm. And watching the two of you listen, it's like listening as a full, you know, full-on body experience. It's quite remarkable to watch. So thank you for that. So my question has to do with what we breathe out. And I've started in my very primitive sort of Tonglen practice, breathing out the antidote. Like if I was feeling afraid, I would breathe out courage. And, that, and something that Annie Pema said yesterday was about breathing out spaciousness. And it felt like acceptance and I was wondering if you would talk more about your understanding of what it is that we're, what's happening in this process, especially the breathing out part. Yeah, it's interesting because the way Pema talked about it, she, she was adding some elements that aren't particularly classical. So, I think a little of this comes from Trump Rinpoche, that, that for, he talked about this idea of, of spaciousness as being, you know, the, the space itself is healing. When we ventilate something, we give it more room, we give it more space, then, then that thing finds its proper place in a way, if that makes sense. Whatever was inhaled, you mean? What's that? Whatever was inhaled. The in, the in breath, some, something comes in, anger or pain yeah. or. So, 
this is talked about in many ways, and in the classic text, it talks about it in certain ways. And, you know, Pema very much has been kind of on the forefront in many ways of sort of bringing this out into the popular culture. Some teachers don't even teach it because it's considered to be quite advanced. So, you know, Pema's been, you know, really leading the way here. So I think that one of the ways to think about it is what we were talking about earlier is the issue of space. Mm. Is whether you breathe in the spaciousness and you breathe in and the idea is that it comes in and it just dissolves into the spaciousness. In, in, in the meditation tradition, the heart is, is a quality of vast space. And it's not cluttered up with things. Sometimes we could even call it an empty heart. It doesn't mean that it's empty of qualities. It's not cluttered up with stuff. It's just the holding, the, willing, the ability to hold. So you breathe in, and it opens up. You breathe out, and, and the, the idea of breathing out space is that healing space, so that whatever is the, the, the pain or the discomfort that is caused by the, the con contraction it's breathing that out and giving it space and light. And as we said, it's impossible to overestimate this point or overemphasize um, this point of the healing quality of spaciousness, if that makes sense. You know, if, if you have a, if you have a, um, a cube of rock, like rock salt and you put it in a glass of water, it's incredibly rocky, salty water. You can't, you know what I mean? It's toxic to you. If you put this in 10 gallons of water, the, do you know what I mean? So it's the same thing as that we're just going to breathe it in, space in, space out. Spaciousness out. Does that make sense? Does, yeah, ventilation. Does. Thank you. Yeah, just thank basic you. ventilation. Yeah. Thanks for that yeah. very much. Yeah. Oh, before we go on, I wanted to mention something because I was asked to. Pema based some of what she's been talking on, on, on material from two books that the bookstore has bought. So... She asked the bookstore to buy these books in case people want them. One is a book that, of hers on Tanlan, and the other book is the classic, uh, the um, Tibetan book of living and dying. So they're available at the bookstore, and it would be great if you buy them because they stocked up, stocked up on them, and no one mentioned it. Usually she mentions it, and she forgot to mention it. So um, One more here, and then we'll take one from the monitor. Yeah. I knew I didn't have a question. Oh, in fact, I don't think there are any from the monitor. Are there? Huh? No. Okay. Yeah. I didn't have a question this morning, but I certainly do now. Ah. I'm Tom. In World War II, I had six. Oh, in World War II, I had six relatives who uh, fought in the war, extended family who fought in the war and came back. And as a Catholic kid in the 50s, with the great commandment, thou shalt not kill, uh, as a boy and teenager, we wrestled with the ethical question, if we could take a time machine and go back to 1932 and shoot Hitler, would we do that? And the ethical response was yes, even though we would commit a mortal sin and go to hell. Come to today, I hold Vladimir Putin responsible for thousands of deaths, millions of people being displaced, <clears throat> and billions of dollars, billions of Destruction, dollars of destruction. Um, he's responsible, but we can hold him responsible until the cows come home, and it's not getting better, and I have a hard time imagining that he is going to be held accountable during this lifetime. So the 
uh, ethical question I have, well, if I had a gun and access to Vladimir Putin, would I shoot him? Well, I wouldn't want to do that because I wouldn't want to be karmically connected to him in my next life. But if I could have access to a gun Putin, I would shoot him in the spine so he couldn't talk or walk anymore and thus take him out of commission, so to speak, with the belief of stopping more violence happening. Um, every morning in my prayer and meditation, I hold the people of the Ukraine and the Russian army. I ask the Russian army to show compassion and restraint. They are pawns in this. Vladimir Putin is not a pawn in this. I don't want to hold him in my meditation and my prayers, but I feel impelled to do that. I need help to figure out how to hold Vladimir Putin. <clears throat> so again, needless to say, this is not formulaic. This is, these are very, very, very difficult issues. I'm sure you read Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his experience in the war. These are very, very difficult, difficult calculations to make, considerations. One thing that comes to mind as I ponder this, we always talk about confusion as some sort of almost clinical thing, you know, like there's confusion. Confusion is incredibly dangerous. When we lose contact with the fact that we're part of a human family, that we're dependent on each other, that we're related to each other, that we put ourselves ahead of everything else, which we all do in, you know, in subtle ways, this is confusion. And confusion, when, when let loose, is incredibly dangerous. And it's important, I think, for all of us that there's a lesson here. But that's not answering your question. So as we said before, we can do, we do what we can do. And we can't do more than we can, we can do. I think that if there's, that, that, that maybe one way to hold hold someone like Vladimir Putin in your prayers and in your heart is as an aspiration, is may I grow into the kind of person that can actually, in fact, have compassion for this person. I can't feel it now. I aspire to someday for my compassion to be limitless. And everything follows on from aspiration. We pick up a glass of water because we aspire to pick up a glass of water to quench our thirst. Everything flows from aspiration. If you studied the bodhisattva literature, you know that this, the, the, the bodhicitta of aspiration and the bodhicitta of application. So we aspire to do the best we can. So I think that that's one way to do it, is that may one day I have the capacity of heart and mind to hold even someone who is as awful as this in my heart. And I think that would be a great way to hold the, thong, the whole thing in your heart. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It, it makes sense, and it will be difficult. But yes, it no is question. Inspire. Yes. No, absolutely. There's no. It's incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. 
And maybe in this lifetime it won't happen. But if, you, but if, you're, in, if you're inspired to do it, I think that would be a way to do it. If you're not inspired to do it, then leave it. Do you know what I mean? Then do what we can do. And, and have joy in that, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's helpful at all. Or... That's what comes to I'll my see. mind. I'll <laughs> see. Yeah, see how it goes. Yeah. That's what comes to my mind. Yeah. There's a very interesting, there, there's a very interesting, again coming from the way of the Bodhisattva, Shantideva's way of the Bodhisattva. This text is the sort of Bible of the Mahayana, of the great, uh, of the great vehicle in Tibetan Buddhism. And the, 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 the essence of this text is the training in the six paramitas of, of generosity, right, right conduct, patience, exertion, meditation, wisdom. And I can remember going to my teacher and complaining bitterly about one of my community friends, which is about 80% of what we did with our teacher is bitch about each other. <laughs> Not joking. And, um, and without knowing what he was doing, he, he guided me through the logic of the Bodhisattva's way of life. He said, he said, Tim, if someone hit you with a stick, would you be angry at the stick? Well, no. Of course not. You know, you say, well, who do you think I am? So, no. Would you be angry at the arm that wielded the stick? Well, no. You'd be angry at the mind that instructed the arm to wield the stick to hit you. Yes. So if we're going to be angry, we need to be angry at confusion. And that's where, that is, that is what we're looking at, is working with confusion. Yeah. Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, first time at Omega. It's such Great. a special place, and it's really, really been wonderful. Great. Um, this is a little nerve-wracking, but easier when my face is not on the on monitor with all the humidity in the air today. Um, you, <laughs> you sort of answered this question, I think, a little bit earlier when um, the woman with, I think, the stepson had some sort of issues in terms of being able to accept him and be in the same room. But something came up for me with that, sort of boundaries versus barriers. Because there are some people who you really just shouldn't be around, right? Maybe it's not healthy for you. And sometimes setting boundaries with certain people or certain things is a form of self-care. Mm -hmm. So I sort of want to talk about that. My understanding of it now that I thought about it a little bit was that it's okay to have a boundary as long as you can sort of deal with the agitation that person might be causing you, that situation might be causing you. Um, but I wasn't sure, and I wanted to sort of talk a little bit about that, because there's people in our lives that are not healthy for us, and as much as we can sort of have compassion for them, it doesn't mean that we want to be subject to the abuse or subject to how they make us feel. So ask the question. So, sort of what is the difference between a boundary versus a barrier? Yeah. And if there are people in your life that you have to keep healthy boundaries with, um, is that against the teachings that we've learned this weekend? No, not at all. Barriers are. But healthy boundaries, as we mentioned before, there are times that, that we need to keep people away because they're causing harm. And so it's bad for them. We're protecting them by keeping them away. We're protecting ourselves. 
But we can keep those boundaries without cutting a person out of our heart. So in, in, in the classic bodhisattva training, you break your vows when you give up on someone. That's the only time you break your vows. You can keep them away, whatever. But when you completely give up on someone, that's considered breaking the vow. So as we said before, I think a boundary needs to be a boundary made of love and wisdom. And it needs to be, it needs to be something that we should uh, keep alive. In other words, we should check on it. And is this still called for? And is this me being just self-protective and lazy? Or is this something that really needs to continue to be there? And so it's a, I think it's an active quandary, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. Thank you. And the other question I just thought of, if it's okay for me to ask. Yeah. Um, we've had some amazing people who've, got up, who've gotten up here and shown bravery and courage in some of their questions. And many of them have been around trauma-related events, yeah. either of themselves or for people. Yeah. And given the news the last couple of weeks between the Buffalo shooting and the Uvalde shooting, how do you counsel or guide a family member whose fourth grader was killed in this way? Like, how, how do you move on? Maybe you don't, but how do you process that? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I, I can't even stand to, to read the news, actually. I think anybody, everybody feels this way, but, you know, as a, as a father, just... I, I honestly don't know. And I, 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 I have just incredible admiration for people who do work in situations like that and parents who do, you know, who are su subject to that, it's unthinkable to me. I actually don't know. Maybe if we ever get together again, people can let us know what you found out or if there's anybody here tonight who has a way of answering that, but it's almost overwhelming. It is a little overwhelming. You Makes know. me want to homeschool, and that's traumatic for everybody. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> for all parties involved. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Are, are there lights inside the tent that we could put on? I can't see the, the, the roof. Is, are there lights up there? Yeah. Any chance of getting some house lights up? Let's see what... Okay. Next. Hi, Tim. I'm Isabel. Thank Hi, you so Isabel. much You're for everything. I, I also, by the way, I, I wish I had something to say to the previous question. I, I'm, do you know what I mean? I just, I'm still at the point where I can't stand to even see the headlines, much less read the news about what's been going, just this last event. Yeah. I appreciate it you saying yeah. that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I thought that was a valid answer. Yeah. And I've appreciated watching you listen to yeah. questions. You and Pema, that was, it's yeah. just beautiful to watch. You take it in and absorb it. So I have a very simple question. I've never done this Tonglen before. So doing this for the past 24 hours and you taking us through it and Pema taking us through it. What I've observed in my own body is I feel like I get so relaxed into it. It's almost like I'm nodding out and I'm not on drugs. So I'm like, what's going on here? Um, and I, I, I come to feeling refreshed, but I, I feel like, is that normal? Like, 
am I supposed to be just so relaxed into it that I um, almost feel like I'm asleep? And I'm not. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. I can. And the other question that I had in combination with that is you, I think, said keep your eyes open. No. In the meditation practice, keep our eyes open. But when it, I look at you, your eyes are closed. In meditation? So, yeah, I thought. No. So, no okay. No. So in keep, Tanlin, it's often encouraged. You know, you could keep them open or closed, but sometimes in Tanlin, to keep your eyes closed, it's good for you to create imagination. So keep the eyes closed during Tanglin. Yeah, often, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then what about the sleeping, falling so restful? So, uh, you know, <clears throat> Tanglin, particularly in the beginning, is awkward. You know, it, often people find it, you know, you know, all of a sudden they can't breathe naturally and, you know, it's just kind of clunky. It is a little clunky. So that they get, you, we get carried away or we get distracted, then freshen up and coming back. Come back. If you find that you're beginning to sort of like get too sleepy and dreamy, part of that could simply be the, the healthy effect of longer in-breaths and out-breaths, which has a, many of you know more about that than I do, but it has a, a, a certain uh, calming effect. But then the suggestion might be to, to, to up the ante a little bit. Take on something that's a little sharper, a little vaster, a little more challenging, if that makes sense. Yes. You know? So, so switch it from your darling puppy to, I don't know, something that's going on in your city. Or, does that make sense? So, a, a more challenging intake, you're, you're saying. I think so. A more difficult situation. Yeah, something that wakes you up a little more, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. that's good. Thank you. Yeah. Why did the lights bring on the fans? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank uh, ah. um, Like many people, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the time and this gift. It's the uh, first time that my wife and I are here. Um, First time with Pema, first time with you, oh, wonderful. and it's been an extraordinary, and um, I think we'll be processing it for a long time. Wonderful. And um, I guess my question is, and you know, with, and I am not a long-term meditator, so a couple of years, but how... When you are um, practicing compassionate listening for somebody in extreme empathetic distress, as we saw you do so skillfully earlier and Pema do, um, I uh, had a mentor that had shared with me about giving somebody 99% you know, of your presence, but kind of maintaining 1% of your focus on one of your feet flat on the floor so that you don't get overwhelmed by their strong emotions. And I know that's kind of a, I don't know what that, I don't know, I don't know, wouldn't say that's a practice. I'd say it's a kind of a clutch. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking as I watched you do it so skillfully earlier, 
I was wondering if the person who told me that did it as a way to not get swept up in the storyline and maintain focus on just the taking it in and, and sending out this positive, like, you know, the gift of the person that you're giving to the person is that they feel seen and are heard. I just, I don't think I'm articulating this very well, well but I, I look I, forward they, to they, hearing your insights. <laughs> I actually have zero insight about this. I, 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 I'm literally not doing anything. I'm not doing, I'm not self-consciously doing anything at all. I'm really interested. I mean, look, how can I say? I'm really interested in people. And, and I'm not a hugely social person, but I really like people who like this a lot. <laughs> and so if pe someone has, ha comes in a situation like this, like I'm totally into it. I'm really interested in what they have to say. I really, really, really are interested. And I, there, I have no, like, I'm doing something. or I don't even know what compassionate listening is. I mean, I don't know anything about all that. But I'm just really interested in, in what people have to say. You know, if that makes sense. It's as simple as that. And, um, I, you know, most, much of what I know, I learned by example from my teacher. And I've always thought his kindness and his presence and his generosity and his willingness to put up with my bullshit and my questions for years, with, I figure if he could be that kind, and he was, a, he was in retreat. I, to, to see him, I would have to break through his retreat. Like I would have to interrupt his quiet life. And he, he always, just tell you a quick story. So I would go up to see him, and when you would come in to see him, it was always a big trouble to get up to the, where he was, because it's up in the foothills, and it's always a hassle. And he would always immediately say, oh, how was your trip? Did, did you have a hard time on the road? Did they give you a hard time coming up here? And then he'd ask his attendant nun, Maya, any Maya, you know, get Tim something to drink, which was always a kiss of death in Nepal. <laughs> are you hungry? Would you like some scrambled eggs, which are even worse? But when you walked into the room, the first thing he would do, always, always, is you would have to go to him. And he, he was always sitting down. He was fairly short. So you were sort of always above him. He would take your head and he would pull it and touch his head with you which in the Tibetan tradition is only done from high lamas to high lamas. And he did it with us. And then he would sit down and fuss over you. And by the time I actually got to ask my question or my list of questions, it actually didn't matter. I was already completely cooked <laughs> because of his kindness. So I've always thought to myself, if he can be that kind, an idiot like me, I could certainly... Do you know what I mean? I, I could certainly aspire to pay attention to people like he does. So when I, if I'm doing anything, it's just remembering him.
to be honest with you. Otherwise, I have nothing going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And thank yeah. you so much for all the time. Yeah. And, uh... You're very, very welcome. Yeah. The power, we have incredible power in each other's lives and we don't know it. The, the, the power of, of acknowledging each other, even if we're just like walking down the street or something, I mean, even like not in a heavy way, just a casual way, everybody wants to be seen. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be somebody. And we have the power to, to make that happen for each other. It's incredibly transformative. And we wouldn't have so many of all this insanity we see on the newspapers if people had that opportunity to feel that from somebody. People go crazy when they, when they get separated from, from other meaningful relationships. Now, they get separated for a lot of reasons, including mental health reasons, stuff like that, but we know that people basically go crazy when that happens. What is it in, is it in the Indian, American Indian? I can't remember which tradition is... is you know, that if, if you've done something wrong, you're ex exiled from the tribe or from the group, and you die. People die out of loneliness. So I'm not even talking about exiles. I'm just talking about normal people walking around. We have incredible power in each other's lives, and I I've, been, I've been the recipient of that, uh, of that kindness from people that had no reason to be that kind to me. And it really, I never forget it. Yeah, yeah. Tim, my name's Alicia, oh. and th thank you so much yeah. for your presence. Yeah. And I, I wanted to say that last year when you and Pema did this online uh -huh. for all of us, uh -huh. how huge that was that you made uh -huh. that happen. Oh, Everyone great. here at Omega yeah. too, thank you. Yeah. When you talked about meditation as, as if you were an old man sitting in the park yeah, watching yeah. children play. Yeah. That had such a big impact on me. I felt like I hadn't relaxed that deeply in a long time, like years. Yeah, well, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm up here because my, my husband, and this is, you know, it's a very small, small problem, but I bet it will resonate with a lot of people. My husband has had knee pain for years. Like just, you know, I say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how much does your knee hurt? And he, most of the time he doesn't even want to talk about it. And I look at it, and so someone so close to me that I know so well, so intimately, I can't help him with this simple thing. You know, I feel like I, feel like I can't, and I feel like I haven't 100% tried either. You know, I practiced Tong Len with his knee saying, oh, okay, so this is what he's giving up, and this is what it must feel like, and it must be scary, like this, you know, trying to get in there and, and experience what he's experiencing with this pain. But I still feel like I haven't been able to help him. And then I'm like, oh, why don't I write, you know, a Tonglen meditation for him and try to take him through it, even though I'm not qualified to do that in any way, shape, or form. But like, you know, walking him through kind of what you've taught us about, you know, so breathe in this kind of suffering and breathe out what you need. I just don't know, I don't know where to go with helping him. Well, you know, remember, like we have said earlier today, the impulse to want to help him is love. So appreciate that, which I think you do. But the wisdom piece is that maybe he's telling you something. 
that he hears your love, he feels your love. But maybe that's enough. Does that make sense? Guys are weird. <laughs> Seriously, there are things that, they, that often, I can speak for guys, I can't speak for women, but, for, but there's often things that, that, that guys would rather just muscle through than pay attention sanely to something. You know, they just, like, denial is a really big part of, of, of men when it has to do with their bodies. It's a thing, do you know what I mean? I don't know why, it's just a thing. So for him to know that you're available to help, that you care, that's what he needs, and that's what he's already getting. If he wants advice, he'll ask it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, and so, so there's, there's wisdom and kindness to allowing that poor guy to just do whatever he does with his dumb knee. <laughs> does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. and, and yes. And I've heard similar things about men and observed similar things. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth it for the people in this room to look at it if, you're actually, if it's a woman who has pain, if, how you approach that differently. If it, you know, I mean, like, say a man's wife has a knee pain, how would he Well, well how, would, how would you like to have him approach you if you had the pain? <laughs> of course, ask me every day, like, how can I help you with your knee, right? See, so, that's amazing. Yeah, right. That's so great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're weird creatures, aren't we? It's really strange. I, I, have, I have, in the last few years, I have this old man foot disease, that, or foot problem that makes it hard for me to walk. And, I, 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 and I'm supposed to do all the stretching and all this stuff. And I absolutely like, amaze myself at my ability to bitch about it all the time and not doing anything about it at all. <laughs> it's just incredible. I, like I, I, I'm a mystery to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Jill. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Um, I realized today a, a dilemma or a, the struggle. So you said you know, t that we're perfectly marvelous, right? Just to, even to allow the thought that we are, we're perfectly marvelous, right? So I, I was doing that in the practice. And I realized what gets in the way of that is ego, right? Because ego totally disagrees with that, right? Sees me as flawed. Um, and I could feel like a, a, a closing down as soon as there was any vulnerability showed up during the practice and it quickly flipped and then it was, it was from coming from ego where then it's hard to hold others because I'm separate because of ego. Am I making any sense? So I guess what would be your advice or the, what would be the best way to support myself in the practice of believing that I'm perfectly marvelous? <laughs> when you use the word ego, what do you, what do you mean? Well, it's this separateness, right? So, you know, my, your whole life, you're, we're separating and judging um, others, right? So for me now to imagine I'm like everybody else, well, I think they're all weird, right? You know what I mean? Like we've been judging people, right? We see someone that's different. We judge them to make ourselves feel better. 
right? Or to affirm something about ourselves. So now the, the flip is now that we're all the same and letting go of all of that. I said, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, first of all... I mean, I have no problem of, I mean, of wanting to let go of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, first of all, I really, you know, in, in, particularly in sort of spiritual literature and Buddhist literature, we use this word ego, and it's a really sloppy use of the word because it gets mixed up with sort of Freudian ego and all this, and then it, it becomes the, the devil, and then it's become something that we have to get rid of. And we accuse people of having big egos or small egos. And we've got to get rid of egos. Ego. And it creates this whole sort of cosmology that is incredibly unhelpful. So what ego means in, from a, in the Buddhist tradition, it means this quality of grasping. Mm-hmm. Ego is a verb. It means holding on. Wanting to hold on to this and not lose this, and do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And 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 so, it, it's a verb. It's a fluid thing. It's not something that we can get rid of or not get rid of. It just means relaxing. Becoming egoist means not holding anymore. So ego is a is a normal, in many ways, as we were saying earlier today, almost healthy response, but not a skillful response. If we see something that we like or we want, we naturally want to hold on to it because we care about each other. But the holding on is the problem. That's what gets in the way. So through meditation and through study and through contemplation, through compassion, through devotion, the whole thing, these are ways to loosen, to soften, to open up. But I wouldn't, it's important that we don't demonize certain parts of ourselves. And we understand that that grasping at the core is healthy. It's, it's love, it's care. But it, it's not skillful. It's not getting us where we want to go, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it feels that it's trying to keep me safe. That's love. You know what I mean? So it, that's, that's right. what it feels like. That's right. You know, so it's, it's keeping me but safe, it does, but it doesn't, but it doesn't separate. work. It, that's right. Yes. So what we need to do is we need... It's not that, again, in, in a lot of spiritual literature, including classical Buddha, Buddhist literature, a lot of we get this message that wanting to be happy ourselves somehow is the problem. It's insane. Of course we should want to be happy because we care. How could we want someone else to be happy if we don't know what happiness is ourselves? So we should care for ourselves. So that's not the problem. The problem is that we've got to upgrade how we do it. We've got to get better at how we do it, if that makes sense. And so I think that that's the endeavor. Not that we cut off this, this, this ego thing. That we need that we need to find a way of being, an ego, as it were, that's more fluid, it's more open, it's more relaxed. That's a healthy sense of self, if that makes sense. It does, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking then that maybe that's the practice, is, is being with that vulnerability, or the, it, feels, it doesn't feel safe just to think I'm perfectly marvelous, right? So it just doesn't feel, because it doesn't feel natural. And that... The safety, right, is trying to keep me safe and small and together, but it separates me, right? right. So in the practice, then, it, then maybe sitting with that That's and right. everybody else that feels that way. There you go. Right? There I mean, I guess that would, yeah. Yeah. That's right. 
Okay. Yeah, we do it to keep us safe, but inadvertently, that right. becomes the problem. It's, exactly. That's how I saw the dilemma this afternoon. I'm like, right, in, in an effort to be safe, right, and, and to want to be included and be a part of things, we separate ourselves, and they, right. now we're, we're trying to turn that. That's right. Yeah. That's okay. right. Thank you. Good. Yeah. We are, we are the, the, the universal issue for all of us is that we are literally too damn uptight. <laughs> that is the issue on all levels, the most abstract, the most subtle, the most sublime. It's all the same thing. A free mind, an enlightened mind, is a mind that just is completely open. People can walk through that world. Thoughts and emotions can come and go. Just a completely inviting world. It's like Pema says, the Tanlin attitude. Just the willingness to be penetrated by the world, to be touched by the world. We can actually do it. We can actually do it as a practice. We can, if we're in our town or wherever we live, just take a half a block and walk down that block, and just for half a block, just see what it's like to, to just completely open up. Do you know what I mean? Normally we walk around like this. Just breathe out, just relax, relax our body, lift our gaze a little bit, and just walk. And just try, just for half a block. We can do it. And then it, over time, we can take that on as more of a way of being, unguarded, unlocalized, unfixated, uncollapsed. Yeah, we can do it. Yes. Hi, Tim. Yeah. I wanted to say something about, <clears throat> excuse me, what you say to people who've been through trauma. And I would say you don't say anything, uh, that you listen to them and with both feet on the ground, <laughs> preferably. Say that again? You listen to them and with both of your feet on the ground, uh -huh. preferably. And mm -hmm. I think that meditation and being with ourselves helps us have both feet on the mm -hmm. ground. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell a short story and then I do have a question. Yeah. Um, years ago, I lost two members of my family to ALS in just within a couple of years. And I remember when I went back for the second funeral, people would see me and cross the street. <laughs> because it was too much for them that I was back in town for another funeral. And so that was okay, that was what they needed to do. But just, you say you don't know what to say to people, but you model it, and so does Pema, that you just listen, you're just there. And that is an enormous thing, because you didn't cross the street. So that, I agree with you, we have that power for each other. And, and we should remember that. that. That is doing something, just standing with somebody, yeah. or just saying, the Catholics love to say, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> That's amazing, and it's powerful. Wow, nice, thank you, yeah. Uh, so my question about Tonglen is more about the mechanics. Uh, before I came here, I had hit a place that was unfamiliar to me where I did not want to listen to the news or to hear anything about the Texas tragedy. 
and I literally turned off the radio. I didn't answer texts for people who wanted to talk about it. And I was in this weird place that I couldn't quite identify because every time I thought about a tragedy, I just thought about, but these are the causes of it. And that's the work that I do is finding the causes of back pain or the causes of depression and helping people understand where it all comes from. So when we got here on the first day and we did that first Tonglen with Pema, I tried to go bring compassion to the families and the children and I just kept getting directed to the, the politicians. And I, I asked, what's it like for them to have power to do something and not do it? And I just, it felt this, like this giant, awful energy. So I just breathed into it and I breathed into it and I breathed into it and I felt something release. It felt like these dead parts of all these politicians just kind of floated up out of the air. And I thought, all right, well, I feel good. I feel like I did something. <laughs> I don't know if there's all these politicians now writing out assault weapon bans and so on. But I feel like I had some place to put how I felt about it. And so then the next, the next time we did a meditation, I, I loved the, I loved the, uh, the exchange between Pema and the other nun on the first day about, is meditation enough? And I loved the brave and wonderful man who stood up and said, do we need rage? I, I love that we're talking about this stuff. And so the next time we did Tonglen, I ended up just tapping into outrage and rage and, and just breathing into all the people who are outraged and all the people who have rage and breathing into it. And then I sort of thought, oh, the politicians are still here. So how do you guys feel about, like, what's it like, again, to, to be where you are and have all these outraged people? And that felt like something shifted. So I guess, A, am I doing Tonglen right? <laughs> and my comment about whatever I was doing is, I don't think I changed the world but I do think it broke me through the hopelessness I was feeling when I couldn't even feel compassion for those mm -hmm. people because I was so done mm -hmm. with the fact that this keeps happening. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, I feel like it's broken me through to understanding what's the next thing I'm supposed to do about this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess yeah, I'd yeah. be interested so in what I, you think. I, I think that I think it's the kind of thing that we just do again and again. It will take on a different complexion, a different sensibility every time we do it. I don't think that there is a, a right ending. You know, I don't think it goes anywhere particularly. The only thing I would suggest that might be helpful and it might be appropriate or applicable, maybe not, um, is something that Pema often says, which is um, take as much of the story out of it. It's, it, it's breathing in confusion, breathing in... Mm. This is why sometimes we use dark light and hot light or something, because we, we can be quite creative about it. And, and it's, we're not doing it so that we get somewhere, we're just doing it. It's what my teacher says, 
it's like an inner recycle. We take in the, 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 the dirt and the heat and the smoke of the suffering and recycle it, that we take the medicine, the, the, the poison of the pain and it becomes the medicine of compassion. Hmm. And so, and compassion doesn't need to feel like anything. You know, it's not, it's not like, oh, we have this big compassionate feeling. It's just, just more relaxation, more space, the ability to hold it in a new way that is less boxed, less, do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. So as soon as we, we get into sort of like running logic when we're doing Tanlen, we can breathe all of that in too, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's so easy because, because in these painful situations we want to make sense of things and so we quickly jump to storylines and counter storylines and compassionate storylines, do you know what I mean? I think we can let all of that go and just, and just let it become more a kind of sense, a felt sense of the heat, of the pain, of the cries, and just breathe it in. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, okay. Good evening, uh, team. My name is Alberto. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all your beautiful teachings. Yeah. It's helped me on my path tremendously. It was like you put little booster rockets on my meditation. <laughs> it's really helped me and I'm yeah. so grateful. I'm kind of new at Tonglin and, and perhaps the question I'm asking is make, making a mountain out of a molehill. But um, and I think I've done it well. I've done it a few times that I've done it. I think. I think I'm doing it well, but I have a, a question, maybe it's a technical question, but so when I inhale, let's say, suffering or fear, let's say from a loved person, I, I tend to visualize the person in fear, you know, there's some images. So I inhale, and at the end of inhalation, um, I feel a little awkward, like the before I begin my exhalation and breathe out all the good things, space, love, calm. I, I don't know if there is something there that you, maybe you guys do that I don't understand. You call it jiu-jitsu <laughs> earlier, and I think in a book, or Pema calls it um, alchemy, or like change the way you see it. But can you expand on that little portion of the technique there? What is it that one does to change the energy I from being a negative energy to a positive energy? You know, sometimes people ask teachers, Tanlan teachers, you know, like, why the hell would I bring all that in? You know, it's like, I spend my whole life, you know, wanting to be happy and peaceful. And, you know, like, why would I expose myself? So I was talking to my teacher about that once. And, and he said, well, you know, if you're an athlete, you want, you know, like you lift weights. You know, the pain is what grows the muscles, and that's the proof. So if you're an athlete who wants to grow compassion, this is what grows compassion. So actually, that, that you want to bring it in. This is what we're doing. This trains us in, in greater sensitivity, greater connectivity. So I think the whole thing is the alchemy. I think the willingness to bring in what otherwise we want to stay away from, that's the alchemy right there, immediately. Does that make sense? It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not a technical point. It's not a point, particular point. It's that we're willing to go, okay, let's just bring it in here. 
rather than pushing away. That's the alchemy. And you simply, it's an assumption, it's an intention that I can bring it in and I can transform it into something It's already good. transformed. Just, Just the desire to bring it in, to lift it from whoever. I it, see. That's it. It's already transformed. Does that make sense? Makes yeah. perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, good. Thank you so much. Good, good. Yeah. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Tim, for lighting the path ahead. Um, earlier this afternoon, you were talking about um, our fundamental nature, the way we, we start. We are fundamentally good, that we are not broken. Um, so I got that. I didn't start broken. Good. My question is, can someone, and talking about Tonglen, um, can someone go through a trauma that fundamentally breaks them? Um, can you talk about Tonglen and what you think or comment on its restorative? Because I think my concern is that I can't get back what was lost. Even though, you know, I've been trying. So, Tonlin is, a, is, is an adornment to the path. It's not the entire practice. And the question of feeling like you've lost something, of course, if you're prepared and if it works and it's helpful, then Tonlin is wonderful. There's no question about that. But when you've been traumatized and when you've had a really difficult experience, Again, Tanlin is not, a, is not, a, it's not formulaic. It may work. It may work a little bit over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. but, it, but ideally, we need another, another kind of practice that helps us be whole and complete. Does that make sense? It does. Tanlin is something that I had practiced for a number of years before. Right. And so it's a practice I'm familiar with Good. that I really... Um, that I really deeply love. Right. And, and I've used it for other Good. things that have happened, Good. and I, I really enjoy it. I just didn't know if you had, I don't know, like a trauma success story or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you're referring to a trauma, traumatic experience that yeah, you Yeah, just a, any, I don't know, like a restorative analogy or I don't know something for me meditation is restorative awareness is healing when we when, when we when we when we can drop our experience into an open space and hold it that, that meditation has the power or the effect of when we're able to allow our experience to be present and we're with it. Coming, going, staying, not staying, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just as here, it creates a kind of holding environment. And that holding environment is restorative. Sometimes we need someone else to help us hold that, that holding environment, which is counseling or therapy. Sometimes we can do it ourselves. Sometimes we need a witness, a friend, 
Sometimes we need other things. Does that make sense? It's no one thing. Mm -hmm. But your nature can never be broken in the same way that this, this space can never be harmed, can never be broken. Your nature is not made up of things. Therefore, it can't, nothing can be separated. Okay. This is, this is a, a, at first it feels like a little bit of a philosophical point, but it's a very experiential point. There is, there is a wholeness that is there and will always be there by definition. So what is, so what is broken is rides on top of that and that can always be healed. So I don't have, I don't have any, you know, along the way to healing. Often the healing is that we have to go further into it rather than try to just heal it right away. And then as we go into it, we develop warmth and connection with ourselves. And then again, as we said, over time, then everyone who's had that kind of experience. Pain and suffering, it's, it's a perverse blessing of pain and trauma, as we were saying before, is that it calls us to really work deeply. It's a perverse blessing. You will be stronger, deeper, more connected, more whole when you come through this. But getting from here to there is not so easy. But you can do it. Does that make sense? Yes, you completely answered my question. That yeah. the damage was at the top and what... This is so important. This, this is... We can never be harmed on that level. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Hi, and thanks yeah. for your work. Yeah. Um, my name's Connie. Oops. Um, and uh, I'm new to Tonglen, okay. and I also can't watch the news or read newspapers, but I hear everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, then I, when Pema was talking last night, I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't just be trying to be my bubble and not get involved in it. But I, so I tried the Tonglen this morning, taking in all the tragedies that are happening in the world. And I think I took way too much mm -hmm. in because then I just started pouring crying yeah. and the tears wouldn't stop. Yeah. And then, so the next round I said, well, I have to be a little more gentle. That was just Great. too much. So I just took a simple thing, like my husband is a bit older and, um, he, and I have to have more patience with him Good. because um, so I, I took in that, and that seemed too simple. And I'm trying to find the balance, but at the same time, um, I don't exactly know how to ventilate either, because when I was crying, I was trying to find compassion for the shooter of the children, of his mental illness, and, and then I got angry because there's not enough help in this world for people with mental illness. And it was just this vicious cycle. And uh, I, I don't know, I just... Yeah. <clears throat> so, again, classically, the suggestion is back off a little bit. Work with your husband. <laughs> Actually, it's wonderful. 
what you're talking about. Because then if you can work with that kind of sensitivity with your husband, it's beautiful actually. Then you begin to look around and you see that everybody is somebody's husband or wife or daughter or son and you develop some connection, that, that sensitivity, that care. That's fantastic. That's amazing. That's actually more important than trying to c climb the Mount Everest of the Houston shootings. Does that make sense? So this is why this idea of developing this sensitive, intuitive, empathic connection with anybody, this is the ground. This is really the most critical thing. And then again, Tanlen is an adornment to that practice. But understanding that, that we're all the same, we want to be happy, we want to have a good life, and we screw it up constantly, and giving each other a break, this is really the practice. And then we can lean into certain pieces of it, parts of it, and that's Tanlen practice. So, so I, I wouldn't worry about your husband. There'll always, be, there'll always be more opportunities. They will come to you. If you're awake to the possibility of doing Tanlen, <laughs> there's no end to what will come to you. Does that make sense? Just wait till tomorrow. You'll have plenty of options. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. but I feel like, like being on the smaller end, like being more patient with my husband, for an example, or helping my community is small compared to what's going on in the world. And then, so I'm just a little confused because... I don't think it's small. With Pema saying, you know, to send love out to, and, to bring it in and then let it out, and then... And then, but it was just too much. I, I, I get it. So don't go there yet. There will be a day that you can touch into that for 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's too raw right now. Okay, we're thanks. Tra we're, we're training. This is a progressive training. Mm -hmm. Someday you'll be able to do it. Someday you won't. I can't, you know, I, I looked a little bit at the news. I couldn't even come close to even reading the headlines. I just couldn't do it. So let's just put it aside. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you, we, have plenty of, we have plenty to work with. It makes sense, but I also want to help the universe <laughs> at the same time, but I guess little steps. It, it, it's so important to, as we were saying earlier, in a, in a question earlier, just your interest in this is helping. Just, just being a connected human being is a tremendous benefit in a world where everyone is so disconnected. So you're already helping. Honestly, at this moment, my birth has become fruitful. I have realized my human life. Today I am born in the family of the Buddhas. Now I am a child of Buddhas. This is real. And so, please have confidence in yourself. And have, do you know what I mean? The, the, the goodness that even brought you here, that brought you to the mic, People feel this. Mm -hmm. That is healing. Now, if it happens that, you, that all of a sudden there's a place and a time and a moment and a circumstance that we can do big things, great. But if we can't, we do what we can. That's how we change the world. Okay? okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Tight Tim. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sorry. I've been here a few times, and this is my first time at the mic, and I was playing the game of if there was no one back there, I'd stand <laughs> up, and then I just stood up. Okay. So I have a question about on, um, on the spot Tonglen. 
and the perception that other people have about it. And the story that I have is that um, last week my daughter had a severe anxiety attack and my husband and I you know, sat with her and held her and helped her and then she, she needed to go. She said, I gotta get out of here, okay? Get in the car, start driving. She loves the ocean. It's an hour away, but my husband just started driving. And she didn't want me in the back seat with her. She didn't want me to hold her, which is, of course, all I wanted to do. So I thought, I know, do Tang Len, just like Pema says. And it felt so good. And I sat there and I did it. And I can't say that the Tang Len calmed her. We picked up her older sister to help. She probably calmed her more than anyone. The ocean calmed her. But later that night, I said to my husband, do you know in the car I was doing Tang Len, you know? And he, and he was like, oh, that's so great. You had something for yourself to help ground yourself. And I was like, well, I was doing it just for me. I was doing it for all of us. I was doing it for her. And that put just a seed of um, uh, uncertainty in me about Tang Len. And the next day, my daughter was doing better, but I felt this guilt that she saw me in the front seat of the car quietly sitting there. Right? She didn't want me to talk to her. She didn't want me to hold her. And I felt like I was doing so much for her. <laughs> but then the next day, I actually apologized to her. I didn't tell her I was doing Tang Len. I said, you know, I, I feel like I should have done more for you. I feel like I shouldn't have let you go down that rabbit hole of emotions and maybe if I did more. And she said, Mom, it's okay, it's fine. And now this weekend, I'm like, why didn't I tell her what I was doing? Why didn't I say, you know, you know when you didn't want words or this? I was with you, and this is what I was doing for you and for us. Um, so I think I'm answering my own question. I think I wish I had said that to her the next day, but I'm wondering if in the moment, is it helpful to say, this is what I'm doing? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. No. In fact, in general, I would keep Tanlin a little on the down low. Okay. <laughs> People think you're a little crazy. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know, again, I can talk about guys, not so much about girls so much. But I think my guess is that your daughter appreciates, she knows what you're doing. You're taking her to the beach with her sister, an hour away. She gets it, she gets it. Yeah. I think anything more, she could begin to feel more self-conscious and like you're doing all this for her and she's still not better and so she feels guilty about getting another anxiety attack. Which is exactly how she feels. Okay, I'm so exactly. glad I asked this question. Okay, okay I will so, so exactly. Okay. So yeah. act like you're having fun with your husband and you're going on a family trip so that your, that your daughter doesn't have the guilt and the burden of feeling like the identified problem in the car. Do you know what I mean? Yep, yep. Talk about what you see, play the music. V again, ventilate the situation. I do think by doing the Tonglen, I helped in that my nerves get me to So if you help more, yourself, so great. It helped, it helped me honor what she wanted at the time. Yeah, it gave mom something to do while you're getting anxious about your daughter's anxiety. I completely get yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Fantastic. But you don't need to tell her. Okay, okay. This is a hint for all moms. 
I have a second question, if there's time, just quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I kind of know the answer also, and it keeps people keep talking about it in different ways. Uh, my situation is that with the recent shootings, I have been shocked that I haven't yet cried. Um, with Sandy Hook, I wailed, wailed. And I immediately went to action, called the White House, called all my representatives, wrote letters, spent hours doing all of that stuff. Oh, the tears will come, the tears will come. Held my children as they cried. My tears will come. I had to tell them, I will have tears. I, I'm just angry now. This weekend, when I go see Pema, I'll have tears. I'm normal. I haven't had tears. I've tried Tonglen, and I just feel numb and so disconnected. And just before this, during our break, I was like looking at pictures and reading the names of all the shoot those shot in Buffalo, going, why can't I feel this, you know? So I thought, do I do Tonglen for myself for not being able to feel what I normally would feel? I mean, I'm a crier. You know, human psychology is very complex, and I think we have to honor it. So one of the things that, that you learn as a training therapist is that our defense mechanisms, we need to honor them. They're there for reasons. So if, if staying a little bit, uh, I don't know exactly the word, unaffected, let that run for a while. Don't push it. Okay. Trust yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Give yourself a break. Like, you're doing great. You're a mom, you've got kids. Life is very, very complex. We're living in an incredibly complex world. Don't hold yourself to, don't hold yourself to a kind of spiritual ideal or how you ought to be. If, you don't, if, you're, if you're not crying and you feel a little cut off, just notice that. Just become curious about that. Like, wow, look at this. Normally I'd be crying and now I'm not crying. Everything becomes a kind of experiment or, an, you know, just bring your curiosity to whatever you find. That's the best way. Okay. Does that make sense? That does In the sense. same way that you wouldn't say to your daughter, turn around to the backseat of your daughter and said, I think you should stop being anxious, right? <laughs> it doesn't work. In the same way, don't look no, at yourself yeah. and I think, well, I think you should cry more often. Just like see what's happening. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. With the confidence... This is why the, what we talked about earlier today, with the consensus, we're, we're absolutely wonderful inside. The ripples on the, you know, sometimes the, the, the waves go this way, sometimes they go, it's a very weird life, a weird world. But down, we're perfect, we're wonderful. Have trust in that, and let the, the, let the surface flow as it will. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. You know, feeling a little, how can I say, a little numb, sometimes that's what we need to do. Otherwise, it could be completely overwhelming and we'll just get caught into it. And like you're saying very clearly, that changes. That will change. There'll be one day you'll wake up and you'll feel differently than you do now. We'll all feel differently when we wake up each day. Yeah. Hi, team. Hi. Uh, my name is Cynthia. And this morning you started saying um, that we are cultivating our compassion. So that's a muscle that I've been cultivating for quite a while. My question is, 
how do you navigate, or what are your thoughts on navigating a situation or an experience where you feel that you're at the edge of compassion? Like you, you're running out of compassion, like there's nothing more of you to give. Is that the moment to, and I'm thinking scenarios of putting loving boundaries and or exercising more that muscle. So, one of the things I didn't mention, which is really important, is this basic nature of ours that is like space. That nature is not sterile. It's completely re replete with loving kindness and compassion. Our nature is love and compassion, by definition. Does this make sense? This is our nature. If we look closely, we can't find it. But nonetheless, everything arises out of it. And loving kindness and compassion are who we are already. So I would encourage us to have that confidence that if we relax again and again, this will come out. And if we, if we develop a sensitivity about our own life and our own humanity, we, we develop a sensitivity about everybody's life and humanity. Does that make sense? But ask your question again. It was about boundaries? Well, to be a little bit, give more context, it's, for example, a relationship where I've been giving my, all my compassion, let's say, if there's an amount of compassion, right? But there's a moment or at this time, it's like there's nothing left in me, how I feel. I am, now I'm taking what you're saying, of course. Um, a little bit of my question is, is it time to put boundaries? So, oh. so when compassion is something that you're doing, it's not quite compassion yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is training in compassion. But one of the beautiful, uh, beautiful image that the wonderful teacher that many of you have heard about, Khandra Rinpoche, said, she said, she said, let compassion be like the wind blows and the sun shines. In other words, it's just who we are. So the wind blows. The wind doesn't say, oh, I'm going to cool you, but not you, or I'm going to blow extra hard today. This is just what a wind does. This is what a sun does. The sun doesn't say, I'm going to warm you, but not you. The sun just shines. So this is, so when we discover this quality, it's just there. Does, does that make sense? And, yes. and the, the, the sun doesn't burn itself out by trying too hard. Trust yourself. Trust. Just your nature, just who you are, how you are, is replete with compa compassion. When we're trying too hard, it often gets in the, in the way of it. And often when we're trying too hard, Many times we're getting, getting in the way of our wisdom, hmm. if that makes sense. This, yes. is, this is what Trumper Rinpoche used to refer to as idiot compassion. <laughs> when we're just compassionate to everybody all the time, and yeah, do you know what I mean? It becomes a bit conceptual. Do, does that make sense at all? It does make sense. And I'm remembering a little bit of what you said about your inner goodness. So, like you said, we all have that. I think it's a matter of trusting, like that Please. unshakable trust. Please trust it. 
on in, in fact, you said, you said an important thing, that, that there will be a time when you will trust that, it, that, it's, that you have that unshakable trust. Mm -hmm. There will be a time. But right now you have a taste of it. And you can... I remember the taste. Good. <laughs> remember the taste. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, good, good. We, all, we already are compassion. The practices of compassion, in many ways, are not to develop compassion. It's more like to release the compassion that's already present. Does that make sense? These are tricks to open up the doors to allow our being to come out and express itself and to dance. So there are many ways we can do this. My favorite thing is watching puppy videos on TV. On, on, <laughs> I spend an inordinate amount of time on the, on the website Dodo. Secret into my life. But we already are compassionate. So the exercises in compassion, the contemplations of compassion, are ways of releasing what's already there. It's not creating something that we don't have. We are compassion. We are loving kindness already. So all of the practices are to reveal what's already there. Does that make sense? We have to have that trust. Otherwise, we're always in some sort of project mentality. We need to let that go a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for this weekend. Yeah. Um, perhaps a technical question. Uh, up until this weekend, I used the loving kindness meditation predominantly when, when I sort of felt um, uh, unfortunate feelings about someone. Um, I guess my question to you... Unfortunate feelings? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what did you say? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunate feeling? Yeah, you know, troublesome, yeah, I, I, yeah. challenging. Um, anyhow, um, I'm curious um, how you decide when you use loving kindness versus Tonglen, whether they're not even in the same neighborhood. Um, they seem to me somewhat similar. Um, I was just curious if you had a I take think, on that. I think Tan Lin is like loving kindness, compassion, 3D. Do you know what I mean? Kind There's just of. more going on. Can you say more? Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't really matter. It's all going to the same thing. There are just various ways of, of, of touching in again to the, to the compassion that's already present in you. If you didn't have compassion, you wouldn't be doing it in the first place. So it's just, again, it's just revealing what's already there. So loving kindness meditation, Tanlen meditation, it, it's just whatever feels like something you'd like to do at any given time. Does Great. that make sense? Totally. Yeah, it's not that linear. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if we take the idea that compassion or that Tanlen, the, the impetus is like this idea of kissing away the pain of someone you love, then that is going to be with you for the rest of your life. It's just an impulse. And Tanlen just puts a kind of framework on that. Does that make sense? Totally. And it just happens to be a framework we have. It's not necessarily necessary and it's not necessarily better than some other. It's just a thing. So we use it. Because it has a vision, you know, it has an imagination, it, we're doing something. It's like very active. But all we're doing is we're, is we're releasing the compassion that's already present in us. Otherwise, you wouldn't even start to do it if compassion wasn't there. So again, trust, ourself, trust yourself. Okay? Thank you. Yeah. My, my, actually, we don't have time tonight, unfortunately, but 
My favorite practice is this practice, what we call soft spot, of, of whenever, wherever I am, just looking at people. And if we look at people, and again, like Pema said, we're not glaring at people, but when we notice people, it's amazing what we see. If we look at people and we know how to look at people, we see how, they, how people dress and how they comb their hair and which one of 30 billion pairs of earrings they adorn themselves with. And, do you know, just the care, just the quality of people. Their goodness is just oozing out of them if we know how to look. And it's a simple practice. We can just look at people. Pema kind of mentioned it some years ago. I had to get my, my, my uh, battery fixed on my phone. And so I went to the... Uh, and I live in a mountain town, so we were in Denver, the big town, and we were at the mall, and it was Christmas time. And it was going to take about an hour to get my battery fixed. So I'm sitting in the middle of the causeway, in the middle of the... Uh, the mall, you know, the shopping mall, and it was Christmas time, and I'm just sitting there, and for an hour, I watched people come and go. And I watched young teenagers who were obviously on their first date in the, in the mall, and I watched generations of families of four and five generations on what was great granny's probably last Christmas, and the little one's first Christmas, and all the joy, and... And after about an hour, it was so overwhelming. The poignancy was so overwhelming, I could barely breathe. The beauty was so beautiful. I remember there was a, there was a, a father, and obviously a father with, with what looked like to be about a 14-year-old or 15-year-old boy who was severely autistic. And the boy was just all over, all the decorations everywhere. And the, the, the love that I could see in the father and the pride... It just about killed me. And I promised myself someday, I've never done it, but someday I would create a retreat for people. And that was the retreat where you just sat in one place and watched people go by and kept your eyes open. Try it someday. Just do it for an hour. It's nearly overwhelming. When you know how to look for the goodness in people, it's nearly overwhelming. And it's very simple to do. It doesn't cost anything. So there's many ways to practice compassion. Yeah. Good evening, Tim. Vern, yeah. uh, took your workshop last fall. Great. Good to see great. you again. Thank you yeah, for nice your to teachings. See you. <clears throat> I have been needing to speak to rage, the issue that was raised yeah, before. Yeah. I was yeah. really appreciated his raising that reality of there being issues in society that need our outrage to make sure yeah. that things happen and things change. But the question that comes to mind is how do you do that without violence? Because if there's only rage, it's likely to turn into violence, which invites repression, um, which then derails what you're doing. And I was remembering, as many of you may, the assassination of Harvey Milk. The, I, a city supervisor was at his title so, in yeah. San Francisco, like yeah. a mayor, wh whatever. Yeah. But yeah gay guy, <clears throat> and he was assassinated, I don't remember when, and the singer Holly Near um, was on her way out there to sing at some of the uh, rallies and pr of protests and really concerned about how to do this, how this 
this uh, protest could be done without violence. And that's when she came up with the song, We Are a Gentle, Angry People, and We Are Singing for Our Lives. And it's such a powerful example of, of taking, the, didn't take the anger away at all. It focused the anger, uh, but it brought people together, gave them a voice, and was grounded in, was grounded in love as well as anger. Uh, that's the challenge because the feelings don't often lead us there. And I was thinking, like, how does this apply to our friend Vladimir Putin? Uh, and the question of can, how do we do Tonglen for him? And first of all, I was thinking if any one of us went over there and killed him, it would unleash such major consequences that... Uh, you know, it would be very destructive. That kind of solution generally does not work, but creates worse. And it also maintains the, the, the illusion or wishful thinking that he's a bad guy just because he's a bad guy, when in fact he's a product of, um, you know, the power relations and history and violence and all that kind of stuff. I can't begin, I don't know the whole history, but he he is... He is a product of the whole system we're in. So my question is, is there a way that you can do Tonglen for this world situation of power and conflict that <laughs> is creating these uh, terrible, these terrible situations? You know, if I was near Putin and had a gun, I'd be very tempted to pull the trigger myself, but uh, that, that's not gonna solve anything. So I don't know how you bring Tong Lin into that kind of situation. I don't know if you have some thoughts Well, Tong Lin is just using your imagination. So it's not as if you bring it into the situation. You, if you feel like you've got the capacity just to breathe the whole insanity in, the, breathe the dilemma of what to do, breathe those who are in, enraged and don't want to, you know, just the, this same dilemma that you're talking about, just breathe that in. Does that make sense? Give yeah, it all yeah. space. Give it all ventilation. And then, and then see what happens. So that's how to do it. You know? That, that's how to do it. Then the details about how, how and if rage is productive and effective. And this is a whole nother, a whole nother a, another equation altogether, which is complex, as you're saying. But in terms of Tan Len, we're just using our imagination. We can breathe anything in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. I was talking to Pema about it, and, and, and we were saying that this, maybe I mentioned this before, this would be a wonderful time to go back and revisit the, the writings of Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela and people who were up against horrors and how they navigated and what they, you know, how they contemplated. This would be wonderful to go back and be a student of history and reread Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for instance. It's amazing. We have a whole, you know, we have a lot to, to learn right now. But in terms of Tan Len, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Tim. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, you've mentioned quite a bit about your teachers and, yeah, and yeah. that you and Pema also yeah. have had similar teachers. I'm wondering, yeah. 
I'm sure many of them don't have books or anything like that, uh, but I'm just wondering if you would just even say the names of your, the teachers or something, because uh, also it's hard to even spell them, yeah, yeah, yeah. write them out. When I was studying, Pem and I were studying with Trump Rumpche in the 70s, in the late 70s. She and I actually did a drop-in meditation course. On Wednesday nights, we would do drop-in meditation. It's a long time ago. I don't know why we hooked up. I, there's just something about Pema that I loved right off the gate. And we, we became friends for some odd reason. Again, I was, at that time, I was like, you know, 25 years old. She's 15 years older than me. And I don't know, we hit it off. I have this thing for nuns. I love nuns. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and, um, and then we kept in contact, and she came to Nepal. And then when I got back from Nepal, I... Just out of, completely out of the blue. I hadn't heard from her in a year or two. I got this, I got this voice message on my voice. Remember, there was a voice message things, and she asked me to come and be the director of Gampo Abbey. I thought, well, what the hell? I, you know. So I have this thing with nuns and monks, and it's weird. So, but we were studying together with Trumpa Rinpoche, and then in 1981, uh, a very, very, very great but unknown at that time. Meditation teacher, master, all, all around fantastic human being. His name is Tolko Ujin, U-R-G-Y-E-N. Was on his only tour, and he had to come to the West to get some medical treatment, so he was invited to come to Boulder. And uh, I don't know what it was. He was giving a teaching. I was sitting right here, and he was right here, and I looked at it and I thought to myself, I have no idea what you're smoking, but if I ever grow up, I want to grow up at least in your shadow. And I moved my family immediately to Nepal. And we went for one year and we stayed for 13 years. Or I stayed for 13 years. So his sons, and then, and then Pem and I share a number of other teachers that we revere deeply. But in particular... There are a number of books written by, about Tolkujin's, frankly, his teachings to us. So th many of them you can find. On the, and they're, they're in the tradition of the great perfection of Dzogchen, which is a very, very, uh, in some ways, very esoteric tradition, but he has a way of bringing right everything to the ground. But then his three sons are quite spectacular. And... One, the oldest one is named Choki Nima Rinpoche, and he wrote, recently wrote a beautiful book called Sadness, Openness, and Love. Fantastic. He's an amazing. His next son, Sokni, uh, Pema mentioned him, Sony Rinpoche, T-S-O-K-N-Y-I. He has a number of beautiful books. One is called Open Heart, Open Mind that is spectacular. And the son that I work with full-time to create his international organization is called uh, Mingyur Rinpoche, M-I-N-G-Y-U-R. His organization is called Tergar, T-E-R-G-A-R. It's all over the world. And his two books, particularly, he has three or four books now, but particularly his book, uh, The Joy of Living, is a spectacular, and there's an online program that I moderate called The Joy of Living, uh, it's a meditation program. So those, those are the three that I'm, I'm mostly connected with. 
And uh, it's quite a remarkable family. They're just deeply wonderful people, each person. Yeah, so that's what I would suggest. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, is Tulku Jurgen the, uh, the one who said, can an old man practice yeah. non-meditation? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Love that. Yeah, he was, he was spectacular. He was just spectacular. Just like he was a perfect human being. He was the easiest teacher to follow because there was no edges. I mean, you just, anybody who knew him, and this was true of all the great lamas and all, everybody, anybody who knew him, they all said he's just a perfect human being. He was the best friend, the best grandfather, best father, good jokester, humble, modest, utterly brilliant. But that was like 10th in, in line. Yeah, fantastic. So, Great. yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, thank you so much. It's yeah. really helpful. Great to hear. Okay, last question or last question. Anybody have one more question? So, yeah. mentioned said that the uh, you you can give compassion or have compassion for others to the extent you have it for yourself do you have any specific say, um, say it again she said what? she she said that you can only have compassion for others to the extent you have it for yourself there's a direct relationship do you have specific techniques that you think foster self-compassion meditation but in a particular type or a particular any just whatever well the meditation we were talking about this morning but mm -hmm. particularly a meditation practice that is not trying oh by the way before i forget this morning i mentioned three principal key principles of meditation and i didn't name the third <laughs> the third the first is relaxing deeply the second is contacting awareness huh relaxing deeply Contacting awareness, either through a support or just openly. And the third is to leave your experience uncontrived. Don't try to make it better or don't just uh, whatever happens, happens. Leave it uncontrived, completely natural. So I think the best meditation techniques are the meditation techniques that often are like what we said here, that just allow you to just be here. We're not trying to create joy. We're not trying to create anything. Just to simply be a simple presence of whatever is happening. And in the process of whatever is happening, we get to know whatever is happening. And in the, as I said before, in the getting to know what is ever happening, then that creates understanding and intimacy and love. That's self-compassion. By definition, when we stop fighting with ourselves and allow, as Pema said, just to, to, to be with whatever is happening, that is kindness, by definition. That is the act of kindness. It's not even developing kindness. That is kindness. If a friend of yours comes to you and say, oh, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm really having a hard time. What is not kind is saying, oh, you want to read this book and go to this workshop. What's really kind is saying, oh, God, I'm sorry. I get it. I, I, I get what you're talking about. I'm, like, I'm with you. That's kind. When we stop fighting with our experience, that is what it means to be friends. And so any meditation practice that's not trying to create something, not trying to create bliss or joy or non-thought or just let it all go. Just 
being present, that creates friendship. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, thank you. You earlier had said there are different paths to compassion. I just thought I'd missed something and there were some other um, specific techniques I might want to look at, but thank you. I am not, you know, I, I'm not a technique guy. We have, this, we, we have this idea in the Tibetan tradition that says, knowing one thing accomplishes all. When we, rec when we, can, comp when we can recognize awareness, this one thing, this abiding awareness that's unchanging, when we know that, everything is accomplished. Everything along the path is accomplished. Knowing one thing accomplishes, accomplishes all. Tanlen is just an ornament to this. Does that make sense? Yes. It's not the main practice. Tanlen wouldn't be a main meditation practice. Does that make sense? When I learned it, when Trungpa Rinpoche taught it, the, the recommendation was do it five minutes a day as part of your normal meditation practice. So the main practice is meditation practice. Very, very simple meditation practice. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, everybody. So, again, thank you so much for your time and attention. Yeah. Yeah. So tomorrow is, is, is kind of officially, frankly, Pema's last public teaching. It's sad to say, it's very, very bittersweet, but she's been at this for a long time and she's time for a break. So I feel very privileged to share this with you. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Good night. Yeah.